Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. There are only two occasions recorded in the Gospels where Jesus weeps. The Holy Spirit would have us see what causes Jesus to grieve and lament, even to the point of weeping. Now the first and most well-known is over the death of his friend Lazarus, John chapter 11. By this we learn that Jesus grieves over the death of all of his brothers and sisters. Death doesn't belong to creation, which from the beginning was endued with his life and with fruitfulness. Death, then, is an unnatural consequence of man's unnatural rebellion against God. The wages of sin is death. And so when Jesus weeps over Lazarus, he's in full-throated grief over what Adam and all the children of Adam have done. Today's text is the second occasion that Jesus weeps. But he's not just grieving over a city like we might. He's not grieving over the regular annual riots in Jerusalem, much like those we saw in Kenosha or Minneapolis, the civil unrest and destruction of last summer. He's not weeping over Jerusalem's lack of care for the poor and the needy. He's not lamenting the rampant hedonism as evident by the church, this uh, cities, many brothels. He's not even groaning about how his people have given up their God-given freedom for the tyranny and occupation of Rome. All those things are lamentable, but actually they're just the symptoms of the greater illness and sickness. Jesus weeps over Jerusalem because they have rejected him. He's crying out with prophetic lament. What have I done to you, O my people? Yes, just right before our text, many had come out to greet him with palm branches and with the Passover greeting, Hosanna to the son of David. But just a few short days from now, that whole city will cry out, crucify him. And he knows it. He shares fully in our humanity and he's already now sobbing at the rejection of his brothers and sisters who will come out to kill him when he, our brother, comes to redeem us. He's not weeping over his own suffering and death to come, but he's weeping for the rejection of men and what will happen if they remain in that rebellion, the wrath of God being upon them. So also we see Nazareth is much the same as Jerusalem. They took it for granted that he would do for them what he had done for others. But as Jesus tells us, those people didn't give him their faith. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. And then Mark records, now he could do no mighty work there, Nazareth, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. 
How could this be? Jesus had done great signs and wonders amongst them. And yet they also had the word of God, the prophets especially, who had warned them that that's not enough. There must be faith. And so we see it over and over in the Gospels. Jesus is rejected not just in Jerusalem and Nazareth, but also in Capernaum, his home city, in Chorazin and in Bethsaida. And it continues even to today. The last 1,500 years of the Christian tradition and nearly the whole history of our Lutheran confession, this text, Luke 19, was read on Trinity 10. Every year, year after year, warning you, his people. And actually, until only recently, that is your lifetime, the old Lutheran tradition was also to read the summary of the account of the destruction of Jerusalem as recorded by Josephus, an event that happened not that many years later after Jesus ascended into heaven in AD 70. Trust me, you don't want me to read it to you. It's a horrible affair. But again, that was there in order to warn you. And yet, how often, even with this text before our eyes today, have God's own people not heeded the warning? Dare I say, Jesus weeps over the church today. We once knew the things that made for our peace, but we've lost our first love, Jesus. Many of our churches no longer preach Christ and him crucified. Of course, you could have seen it coming when they took out the crucifix that actually had Christ upon the cross. Baptism, once considered the most significant event in the life of the Christian, an event with ongoing significance in your daily life is now treated just like that champagne bottle crashed against the side of a ship, once and done, christened. The Lord's Supper, the food of the Christian, was neglected for a long time because people thought its reception week in and week out was too ordinary. Even the regular, repeated hearing of God's word in study it's considered too academic, too boring, takes too long, and we've heard it all before, Pastor. Even forgiveness of sins is set aside, that good gift of absolution, it's only there, you think, for when you need to feel a little bit better about yourself. That's how most people approach the church. Just go look at all the memes on the internet. It's there to make you feel better about yourself, about the things that you do, and hopefully God will help you through it all. How did we end up there as a church, just like that of Jerusalem? It's simple. We placed our faith into a, a cultural box, compartmentalized and segregated our Christian faith and life as just being part of a Christian bubble, we'll say. So the Christian faith in life is just the cultural norm. It's just what, who we are and what we do. It's just who we are as a people. But thereby, thinking it's just our culture, we take it for granted. Despite the fact that there are regular, consistent, even daily, attacks from the devil, the world, and our own flesh, seeking to undermine it. 
How many of you grew up being told that we lived in a Christian nation? Just look around today and you'll learn that that was never actually true. How many of you believe that you're saved by maintaining your membership in this congregation? Well, there's a lot who think that, that have their names on our rolls who show up occasionally just to maintain that. How does that save you? How many think that faith in Christ is actually what you do? Your own self-appointed, even sometimes godly righteousness, like volunteer work and making sure you give your offerings. Is that going to save you from sin, death, and devil? See, we, just like Jerusalem, we inherited a great fortune in Christ Jesus and that promise made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Jesus, we have the right to become children of God, to be able to turn to God in every day, especially in days of trouble, and to be assured day in and day out that God will see that all things in our life work together for our good. But again, because our Christian faith has just become just another culture that we live in, we regard our access to God's word and his gifts as something we can take for granted. It'll always be there. We can go to church when we want to and if we feel like it. There's no risk then in just having one foot in the door of the church just in case, propping that door open for some rainy day when there's a time of need. But like Jerusalem, you do not know the things that make for your peace. And you do not act at the time when they're being warned. You have no special privileges, not by birth, not by ancestry, and not by any of your doing. There's no special privilege in 155 years of history that guarantee this congregation will be here tomorrow. There's no guarantee just living with a heritage of something called a Christian nation that nods to the Christian faith. There's no special dispensation from God because of all the blood, sweat, and tear that you've, tears you've poured in to this congregation or in, into our auxiliary ministry of a school. That's not heeding the warning. No one has any valid reason to ignore or to sin against the grace of God. So how did we get here? The state of the church today, just as it was in the days of Jerusalem, and has always been, it's always in a state of dealing actually with sinful human beings, which means that there's a combination of laziness and apathy that leads to procrastination, indifference. This has always been the case. That's why we hear the warning over and over. There's a classic example, it's recorded in the history of the Old Testament, where the people of Israel became the children of God, the people of God. They had the prom all of God's promises made to them, and they were delivered out of bondage and slavery in Egypt and went forth to the promised land. But what happened to them? They all, every one of them born in Egypt, perished in the desert, not because the trip was long, but because they didn't believe, because of their unbelief. They refused to enter into God's promised dwellings when it came time. And so it was for their, their children, Jerusalem too. They too would be destroyed, suffering the fate that Jesus predicted. 
the cause of his weeping. As Jesus tells us, not one stone upon another would be left. These proud, self-centered, self-righteous Jews, might even say self-righteous Christians, though children of Abraham would die in unbelief, dry branches that have broken themselves off from the noble olive of God's people. The first Christians, the apostles and those early Christians, they heard this warning. Maybe because of their close proximity to the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. They were quite aware that they could be cut off if they did not hold fast to the forgiveness of sins in Christ Jesus. They knew what would happen when the lampstand would be moved from its place if they did not treasure its light. John 12. They knew that it was possible to be a Christian in name only, being alive and yet, while at the same time, being dead. Revelation 3. Or as St. Paul records, therefore consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fell, severity, but toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Romans 11, 22. So maybe it seems a little bit intense for you today, as well it should be. Today and every day is a day of repentance. To repent over the weakness of our flesh, our apathy, our neglect, our laziness, our indifference, our procrastination. Jesus weeps over you because of the judgment that comes upon all those who live in unbelief. All those who reject him in faith. Well, they lose out on the gifts that he loves to give. Faith and love and life over death and his eternal home. Maybe we need to weep too, a little bit more, as we look at our own families and their rejection of Christ, those within our congregation or the church at large, our community, our nation, and our world. If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, maybe we need to weep more. But we're not lost. Not yet, anyway. Behold, the day is coming, but it is not yet. Today is the day of your visitation, not the day of judgment. You have heard the things that make for your peace, and you have received them. It's Jesus, Jesus who gave himself into death on the cross, who died for all of your rebellion, your apathy, your laziness, your neglect of his word and his gifts. He's here today to overcome your procrastination by creating you a new and clean heart that loves and trusts in him anew. His spirit, even now by his word, is invading into your heart to overcome your neglect and to give you faith to come and hear, receive and live in love both for one another and for all your neighbors. We weep, but we also recognize it's high time for us to wake up. Wake, O Jerusalem, and to strengthen the faith that remains among us. To be awake is to be vigilant and attentive to Jesus' word. Not just right now, but every day.
Morning, noon, and night, the scriptures tell us. As long as you and I have breath, then we will proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ is crucified for your forgiveness and for the sins of the whole world. He was raised from the dead for your justification and that all the dead who believe in him will be raised to eternal life. And God the Spirit willing, Jesus will restore to us our salvation so that we and all believers will weep, not in sorrow, but for joy together on the last day. May God grant it in the name of Jesus. Amen.